the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to the Tuesday that feels like a Monday. My <laughs> yes, name is Ian, along with Brian Fromm. This is The Common Good. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, slash The Common Good. Also on Twitter, at Common Good Talk. And uh, all over the podcast universe, if that is your jam, like, subscribe, and review, please. That helps us out a lot. And hit that little share button. Share it with a friend that you think might enjoy it. And Tuesday is sort of like, hmm... It's sort of how Monday typically feels for pastors, but neither of us preached. I know that much. Didn't even go to church. Oh, wow. See, you bring this up a lot. <laughs> I, you you mentioned this, that anytime you go on vacation, it's like not a thing that your family does too, And right? I'm probably a bad dad and a bad husband and a bad, uh, a bad person for doing that. But I've actually had this discussion with lots of different pastors, uh, and I don't know what it is. I, I feel like if I went somewhere where I was visiting somebody and they had a church, I would go. But I'm just not one of those guys who like, hey, we rent a random town for fun for a family and I'm going to find a local church by looking up on. The, I, I don't know. I just <laughs> I, and it's not like I have this principle, but I do always feel guilty. I've had this one pastor's group I'm a part of. And this conversation happened. And one of the guys was like, you know, I can't expect my people to do it like to go if i'm not and i was like oh valid and they're like yeah valid but not convicting they're like (laughs) i remember another one was like you know i just feel like it sends the wrong message to our kids i'm like yeah guilty and they like got to me and i was like yeah we never go (laughs) well maybe it's different with the age of your kids too i'm just like endlessly curious maybe that's what it is i just like to go here yeah i'm just really interested in how other churches do it or what the i mean i like going somewhere and not having any idea what's going to happen. That's yeah. kind of enjoyable for me. And when you're like so involved in the weeds and you're like, I don't know what songs are going to play. I have no idea how this is going to look. Do you find yourself critiquing more? Or are you able to engage in worship or is it more like sometimes when I go to other churches or I hear people speak, I feel like, you know, I'm going to sit in the back and kind of like, you're almost separate from what's going on. Like I'm going to observe this community as opposed to engage with it. That's always a little bit of a struggle for me. You know, I'm always struggling with kind of the constant critic. Yeah. Uh, but for some reason, I think it's the weight of knowing I don't have anything to do here that like frees me up. And I don't get to go to church with my wife very often. It's true. So too. just to like be with her, to be honest, uh, does allow me to like a little more fully participate yeah. just because, you know, I'm like, I don't have any responsibility right now. There's something freeing to that. I actually, it's really funny because I'm like, I never go to church when I'm on vacation, but then when people do, I'm like, no, it sounds like a really good idea. <laughs> you should give it a shot sometime. I remember growing up, <clears throat> our family, uh, we would vacation with another family, friends of ours, and we'd always end the summer uh, at the end of August for a week in North Carolina on the Outer Banks. Okay. The best, right? Yeah. House by the ocean, kids just running around, whatever. And uh, but I can remember looking back and it seemed really normal back then. I can remember looking back 
we went to the same church every time we were down there, this yeah. little church. Yeah. And uh, it was like, we're on vacation. Now we go to this church. And like by the, by the, like we went there like six or seven, eight years in a row. And wow. like our parents kind of knew the pastor. Yeah, and it was right. like a weird deal. Like, and now looking back, I'm like, Oh, that was kind of cool. But yeah, <laughs> now I'm going to do it when I go on vacation. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I'm going to describe for people listening. I'm looking at Brian's face. <laughs> this changes nothing for sure. No. I'm, I'm curious what you did this last weekend and you don't have to, we no more penance, you know, required yes, for yes. not going to church is fine. Well, going to church. Was not really even an option this weekend? It, it was awesome. Um, we went, so a little bit further back in my life, we started Four Corners Community Church uh, a little, almost 10 years ago. Wow. And we did it out of the church I was on staff there for 10 years before that named Glen Ellen Bible Church in Glen Ellen. And uh, that's why it's called Glen Ellen Bible Church. And oh, so it's in Glen Ellen? <laughs> yes. And it's named for the city that it's in? Yes, which Hold isn't on. always me, the truth. Let me go write this down. <laughs> like, you know, Wheaton Bible Church? They're in West Chicago now. You know? Touche. Good point. <laughs> Not to name names, but there you go. But I named it. Uh but uh, while we were at Glenville Bible Church, we had a small group of people uh, that we just clicked and loved. Like, you know, when you have that small group where it's yeah. just like, OK, we're not like a church thing. We are like we, we are doing what everyone always says we're, right. we're hoping to do. And uh, it kind of centered around we all had our oldest kids at the same time. So oh, now awesome. they're all sophomores in high school. That's cool. And uh, we obviously we've all had kids since then. We've all then. And so we were at Glenelg Bible Church for many years together. And then we left to start the church. And some of them came and helped us start the church, uh, which was awesome. None of them are there anymore because we knew they still lived in Glenelg. So it was kind of like we're going to go back. Right. Some of them don't go to Glenelg Bible Church. So we're kind of at like, I think there are five couples at three, maybe four different churches. But we don't see each other enough. But when we see each other, it's just like. Like we enter back in kind of good college friends or something. Right. There's, I can't even, I don't even know how many kids are now. We all crammed into a house this weekend in Starved Rock. Like at it. Nice. At like. Never been. It's uh, it's uh, there was like a Grand Junction Bear Resort or something where there's like an indoor water park and this. I played, I played bass in Grand Junction (laughs) Bear Resort. (laughs) Uh, But it was, and it was just so life-giving because, uh, and I, you know, maybe you're out there listening and you've got friends like this where. It doesn't matter when you last saw each other, but you feel like, oh, these are the people who know me. Yeah. Like, these are the people who get me. And the cooler thing is, like, your kids almost act like cousins. Like, right, right. They haven't seen each other. And you would think, well, you're in high school and junior high. You're all going to be awkward around each other now because you don't really see each other much. And instead, they just kind of jump right back in. That's and, awesome. And then you leave. They're like, why don't we do this more often? And it'll be four or five months before yeah, we right. see each other again. But right. it was a really fun, fun, fun weekend of... Uh, of some serious, lots of laughs, lots of joking around, and uh, and just jokes about how old we feel now. We always <laughs> older kids run around, so it was a really fun weekend where we hiked a bunch and indoor water park, all that kind of stuff. And uh, it was a reminder of the importance of community and friendship and the role these people have played in my life and I've played in theirs. It's, yeah. It was really cool. It was a sweet weekend. Nice, man. I didn't do any of that. What did you do this weekend? <laughs> we had Monday off. Mostly a staycation. Well, I still went to community. Uh, my friend Sherry brought the word and crushed it. She did a fantastic job. Yep. We you know, we had the last fling in Naperville, so we like made the very foolish choice to try and venture into a festival with two little ones. What is the and, last uh, fling? So it's, it's just like a huge block festival. party in Naperville. Yeah, and there's carnival rides and... I tried to get uh, Owen to go on three or four of them, and he, you know, screamed at all of them. And I was like, "Well, this was not worth the ticket price." But he just didn't like the rides. It's uh, just a lot of sensory stuff for him at once. I, kinda, I think it just kind of overwhelmed them. But we, you know, like the some family came over yesterday and went out to eat, and 
got some yard work done. Like it was a pretty lame, but also just I just loved spending just time with my family. That's like we went out to eat, and that was a total disaster with the kids. But we uh, we had a babysitter on Sunday, and my wife and I went on. A, a date uh, at two locations, which is completely unlike us. At two locations, <laughs> dinner at one place, dessert at other. It was wow. lovely. I had so I had so much fun, man. We, we struggled so to get to one location, but I I did get home last night and mowed my lawn. So that was speaking of yard work. Look at I, us, look at us yeah, crushing it. it. Was, I, I still got my suburban uh, my suburban <laughs> older man work in. So well, we only got a couple minutes left, but I I didn't have a whole lot more to say about this other than to keep praying. But most of you are aware, uh, Hurricane Dorian is still wreaking all kinds of havoc yeah. all over the place. Please continue to remain updated. Uh, I know a lot of people with loved ones down there that said it's it's pretty kind of terrifying. It almost feels like Armageddon-ish in some of these cities where they're experiencing unthinkable damage and winds. But uh, I did find one guy, though, who I think has a, a solution for how we can stop these hurricanes. Let's learn from him a little bit. can't see how they haven't come up with some kind of way to com- combat these storms yet. They keep saying, oh, you know, two days ago, three days ago, oh, it's at this, but it's going to hit all this warm weather, all this warm weather and warm water. We have a Navy. Why don't the Navy come and drop ice in the warm water so it, that it can't get going as fast as it's going? There's got to be ways to combat this instead of just pointing at the thing and saying, well, it's, uh, now it's getting worse. Yeah, we know it's getting worse, but you tell us. Oh, it's the warm weather. Oh, it's the wind. Well, we have an Air Force. Drive some Air Force planes around to get the winds going the opposite way. The Navy to go in circles to fight it the other way. So he, he might be yeah, onto something there. What do you what do you think, Brian? Maybe, from maybe we all laugh at him, but he's brilliant. Maybe what if that were one of the things I would love? Like thirty years from now, I'd be like remember Gary? Remember Gary from <laughs> for all Jacksonville? <laughs> he was right. We needed the Air Force uh, to go the other direction. All jokes aside, though, it is legitimately scary. I know a bunch so of friends scary. that are on there that are like, "This is this is unlike anything they've ever seen." I saw a video this morning of like waves hitting the second story of a building. Like it's a I shot from inside oh in the Bahamas. Gosh. That was terrifying. Terrifying. So at the very least, I, and I, all jokes aside, I really do mean this. I think this is the kind of stuff that there's been so many that have been so devastating and so scary. And here in Chicagoland, it's easy for us to kind of yep. dismiss or move on to the next thing. Like, please, please, please keep praying Absolutely. for these people, for these families, for these cities. Because once the once the storm passes, there's still going to be all sorts of repair yeah. that needs to happen after the fact. So if you know anybody or if you have a story that you want to share with us, we'd love to hear about it because uh, we want to be praying with and for them because I know that's got to be absolutely terrifying. terrifying. Well, coming up next, uh, I found a story about losing your faith at Christian college. And one author says that's actually kind of the point. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. John is pointing at us, and that just threw me all sorts. He just gave me this, like, (laughs) superhero point. Like, I'm supposed to know what that means, and he's pointing up and off to the right. He's like he's like a superhero politician right now. That's what you look like. You just hands on the hip, just pointing at the different things wrong with the city if and how, sign language how we're going to clean it up. If sign language was a homophone, that was supposed to be homophone. the clock needs to start. If sign language well were a homophone, the forthcoming memoir by John Benedict. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me you wouldn't at least skim. I believe it goes, if science were a homophone, every day would be Christmas. No? Mm, but if you I give a mouse a cookie, <laughs> then this show is off the rails. Uh, so the timer's going. <laughs> we're making it happen here on this Tuesday that feels like a Monday. 
And uh, I mentioned it earlier. I love, I mean, we probably read Christianity Today more than any other source. We do. I don't know if that's uh, telling or not. I wonder if people are listening. They're like, I'm just going to go to ChristianityToday.com. I can skip the whole show. (laughs) Stop listening to you guys. That's where all the source material comes from. But I thought this one was interesting, especially since I've had a lot of conversations about this. It says, lose your faith at Evangelical College. That's part of the process. So why don't you tell us a little bit about this? Uh, Who wrote this, by the way? Yeah, a guy by the name of Dan Silliman. And uh, he says this, uh, he basically tells a story that from the Bethel University Vice President for Student Development about the questions and doubts which come up every year. And he says this, uh, the Bethel Vice President named Sean Holtgren says, in youth group, kids are surrounded by like-minded kids, and then they come to a place like Bethel, and they enter into a more searching phase. A new two-part study published in the Christian Higher Education shows how common it is for students at evangelical colleges and universities to struggle with their faith. In fact, they are more likely to feel unsettled about spiritual matters, unsure of their beliefs, disillusioned with their religious upbringing, distant from God or angry with God than their peers at secular schools, as well as those at mainline and Protestant, mainline Protestant and Catholic institutions. Uh and, and it says this seems backwards. People go to evangelical colleges and universities, at least in part, because they want a school that nurtures their faith. When Carter looked at the results of her study, though, she said it helped her understand her own undergraduate experience at a Christian school. And uh, then it goes on. Well, let's stop there. And then I want to go into what the rest of the article says. Um, not only does that surprise you, but was that your experience? You and I both went to evangelical schools. You went uh-huh. to Judson. I went to Wheaton. Um And I'm curious if this was kind of your experience. So the title says losing your faith. That wasn't my experience. Um, I certainly had a lot of challenges, though. I mean, there's so many pivotal courses and professors at Judson that, you know, opened my mind and eyes to stuff that I'd never I'd never known before. And I've been going to church since I was like eight. Now, obviously, an academic setting is way different than a local church one. Um, So thankfully, not only did we have teachers that. I think also had a bit of a pastoral bent. So it wasn't just, all right, let's deconstruct these young brains and then just send them out to pasture. It was like they walked with us and how to navigate some of the, you know, a lot of things like now I know you're all freaking out right now, or I know you never heard this before. Like they were very cognizant of that, but I also had like a really great group of friends that we would, that was one of the beauties of like living on campus was just, you'd walk away from a class and I go, okay, who wants to get coffee? Cause I need to talk about that. And I just, I just lucked out, man. And I, now, to be honest, and I've shared the story before, you know, my last semester, I think it was Christmas break before my last semester, I was pretty disenfranchised by church. Yeah. So it was interesting. It wasn't necessarily like a theological deconstruction. That didn't happen until a good deal later. But it was sort of a, I was sort of, uh, I sort of lost some interest in like, based on what I had seen at the local church level, yep. like, you know, you know, good deal of manipulation. I saw kind of behind the curtain a little bit and I thought, all right. I don't, I don't know necessarily that I want to do that yep, now. Yep. And so that was a different kind of like, shoot, what do I do now? What do I do that, with that? That's a little bit of my experience. Yeah, Wheaton for me, uh, a lot of what they described here was, I don't feel like once you read the, the article, it's about losing your faith. It's right. about kind of the spiritual crisis. And I do, I grew up church my whole life, youth group, evangelical church. And I went to Wheaton thinking like, oh, it's just going to be like, you know, an extended youth group. <laughs> like we're just going to keep church doing camp, it. right. And I remember first... First biology class, I took a bio class because we needed to take it for a gen ed. So I wasn't, I'm not a science guy at all. And I walk into Wheaton College Bio 101 or 201 and they're teaching on evolution. Like the, and I was like, well, wait, 
I thought you go to hell if you believe that, right? If you talk about <laughs> you're, that. You're pulling out the crucifix and your right. holy water. And then I and, became yeah. a Bible major, man. And, and that's where I learned like to understand and read the Bible. But to get there, it was like kind of like breaking down your golf swing, right? Where they completely wipe it away to then build it back up. I could totally uh, get this. And uh, I do think one of the important things that I did in college was to stay. I kept going to church and a lot of my friends didn't go to church. Right. Mom and dad weren't there to wake you up anymore. Right. And I felt like that was important. This article goes on to say this at some evangelical schools. Religious crisis is provoked by design. Uh, Wanda Walburn, an assistant professor of spiritual formation at Nyack College in New York City, says this. It's almost that we have to deconstruct their faith, but in a nice way. We have to carefully and lovingly get you back to Jesus, get you back to the grace of God outside of performance. Later on, it says contemporary leaders at Christian colleges and universities don't really have to push students to spiritual crisis. They expect students to come to this point in their faith and prepare to help them through it. And then later on, they write this as students are revert are returning to evangelical colleges and universities across the country this year. This is the kind of prayer the faculty and staff are praying for them. They frequently feel an urgency, a great urgency, not to save their students from spiritual crisis, but to meet them in it. I think that's really good. That's really powerful. And there's something for the church in that, too. Uh, But just a really interesting dynamic, because now that I'm a parent who has a kid that's a couple years from college, there's part of me that's like, I want to get her to a Christian college to grow her faith and do this. Right. And and to read like, no, you send them to a Christian college, they're probably going to have a pretty big spiritual crisis, but come out well on the out of the other side. Yeah. is a little daunting. I mean, I, it's okay for it to be daunting though. Yep, I think I like totally. what, what Laurel Bunker says. She's the uh, associate vice president of Christian formation at Bethel. So we, we know the cycle that students experience. We don't fear the struggle. What we're more concerned with is when students struggle in silence. Hmm. That to me is the whole linchpin of the article. The idea that it's exactly what I was just saying about having friends to go get coffee with afterwards. Yep. It's what I credit Homeschooling, to be honest, is our parents teaching us how to engage in critical thought, to not get spooked so easily, to not run away at things that scare us. Like, I, I'm realizing the older I get, how much of that was kind of built into us. Like, hey, it's okay to push back on these things. It's okay to doubt. Just don't do it in silence. Like, find people to journey with, to ask questions. Yeah. And I think uh, sometimes our churches struggle to really live that out because it's not the same kind of environment as college. Yep. So how do you do this in a in a local church context in a way that actually gives voice to people's doubts? That's such a great question because even one more art quote I wanted to read you. Uh, f- this person from Azusa Pacific University said this, and here's the, our, here's the one to really wrestle with. Crisis is a precursor to growth. We can see that in life generally, but in faith especially. Mm. And like you said, I think at churches, we don't treat people that way. We don't, we get uncomfortable when people raise doubt. And we talked about this last week, uh, these kind of spiritual crisis, these crossroad moments where really it's the goal of community to come around people and meet them in that and help us do that together. But in some reason, churches have at least the reputation of saying no doubt, no crisis, just, you know, we've, we've got everything figured out. And if you're having any doubts, then we've got to shut that down as right. opposed to going, wow, you could be entering into a season that's, that's really going to have a lot of fruit in it because you're wrestling with these hard questions, which wrestling will inevitably bring doubt. I, I like what, uh, what Aaron Barty's a Dean of chapel. He says, think about the model Jesus had with his own disciples. They needed three years to stumble alongside him and even doubt their faith. That was important. They needed to do that. Yeah. I never really even thought about how he models that and gives them space and how we even have, I think, some pretty 
intense evidence that they totally missed the point yep. time and time again. And if that's good enough for Jesus, it should be good enough for our churches, I, I think, so. to actually create space for people to wrestle and doubt and push back and prod and to know that uh, it doesn't just go away you know, because of a good argument or yeah. some Christian film. I think we have, to, we have to dig deeper. That's good. Well, coming up next, a uh, 27-year-old who died of cancer left behind some final advice that Ooh. apparently has everybody in tears. We're going to talk about that coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm, who is wearing a different outer garment I knew, today. I knew you'd be impressed today. Outer garment. No one, no one said impressed. No Outer said. garment. <laughs> well, I couldn't. Is there a hood on it? There is. I didn't want to say hoodie, and you'd be like, it's not a hoodie, bro. It it's a sweatshirt. If you've seen any of our pictures online, I, I keep a sweatshirt in my car, and it, <laughs> I, it, so it looks like I wear the same thing every day because, well, in the studio, I do wear the same thing every day, blue. And why do you do that, Brian? Because it's cold in here. It's so cold. And so usually it's just this blue hoodie, and and... I found in my drawers this weekend a red hoodie. Oh, that is not red, my friend. What do you, what would you call this? That is pink no. at worst, no, salmon no, no. at best. There's salmon, I'll give you. You'll give me salmon, I'll give you but salmon not on pink. Yeah. It's maybe a mauve. It's a. I think it's a. It's a nice brick. I think it's a reddish salmon. A reddish salmon that I think is diseased to salmon. I don't think. <laughs> I don't think that's what you want. I feel good about this though. I'm excited about <laughs> a new one into the repertory. You do feel good. Like you have sort of this air of like, what's up? Do hoodie up? day, everybody. But what people don't know too is our. For some reason, this studio is freezing all the time or boiling. And then you came in today and just cranked it to be like. There's like I put it there's at like seventy. There's like cool. There's heat, and then there's like fire and i think you went to fire no, i set it to 70 degrees i just think it's it weird. wasn't used to being on it's weird to be like just after the summer in the summer to smell heat it's true like <laughs> is there fire is there fire in the building uh all right so hard right turn there's a a really sad story about a woman named holly butcher uh who's from grafton australia she was 27 years old when she passed uh, mm-hmm. she had a rare bone cancer which just Sounds awful. Yep. And we've alluded to it. I don't know that we've done a story quite like this before, but we have at least alluded to the fact that being pastors means that we get a front row seat sometimes to people in their final moments when they pass and how there's always some sense of gravity, you know, whether the person's 27 or 97, like that we want to listen. We want to lean in uh, when someone we know is nearing kind of the end of their life here on earth. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. So, she wrote um, 16 ideas, 16 kind of challenges uh, for people before she left. And I saw this I saw this shared all over the Internet. Yeah. So I, I don't know much else about her story or her religious beliefs or her family yeah. background. But at the very least, I thought, OK, 27 year old. That, that's so tragic and so heartbreaking. I wonder what kind of wisdom she has uh, before she passed. So I just want to walk through the 16 and if we have time, we'll get some reactions. Why don't you kick us off? Yeah, it's wild. She says, it's a strange thing to realize and accept your mortality at 26 years young. And again, you could be out there being like, whoa, what a downer. But I don't think it is. I think it's, we're all going to face this at some point. This is somebody who was wishing that she had more time going, here's just some advice. So number one, I just want people to stop worrying so much about the small, meaningless stresses in life and try to remember that we all have the same fate after it all. Uh, so do what you can do to make your time feel worthy and great. Like that's impressive. Yeah, not bad. Number two, uh, once you do that, 
uh, get out there and take a freaking big breath of that fresh Aussie air, which we can't do, <laughs> deep in your lungs, look at how blue the sky is and how green the trees are. It's so beautiful, which is something that we've actually talked about, the need for ordinary beauties to not just sort of go passing by us, but to actually see yeah. them, to appreciate them, to actually allow it to affect us. Number three, uh, I hear people complaining about how terrible work is or about how hard it is to exercise. Be grateful that you are physically able to do it. Mm. That's it. No thoughts. I, I complain about the kind of stuff all the time, <laughs> but that's interesting. She's sitting there going, I can't, I wish I could go for a run. Yeah. I wish I could go biking and it's not possible for her. This one to me is interesting because it's something that as pastors, I think people probably are annoyed at how often we say, uh, she says, give, give, give. It's true that you gain more happiness doing things for others than doing them for yourself. I wish I did this more since I've been sick. I have met the most incredibly giving and kind people and have been the receiver of the most thoughtful and loving words and support from my family, friends and strangers more than I could ever give in return. The idea of giving is something that she would list in her top 16 of things to do is amazing. To me. Yep. Yep. Number five, this year, our family agreed to do no presents. Hmm. And despite the tree looking rather sad and empty, it was so nice because people didn't have the pressure of shopping and the effort went into writing a nice card for each other. Plus, imagine my family trying to buy me a present, knowing that they would probably end up with it themselves. How strange. Uh. But those cards mean more to me than any impulse purchase could. Anyway, more of the moral of the story Presents are not needed for a meaningful Christmas. And number six, use your money on experiences. I'm a big believer in this. You were talking about a model that you even use for your kids, yep. right? Something yep. to wear, something to read and an experience. Is that yep. right? Uh, no, but the experience is we, we've just decided to buy them less gifts and yep. we, we list them five experiences. Oh, nice. Uh, at a certain dollar amount and we let them choose. So it becomes like I love a game them. too. So. That's awesome. Uh, where are we at? Number seven. Try just enjoying and being in moments rather than capturing them through the screen of your phone. Wow. Life isn't meant to be lived through a screen, nor is it about getting that person perfect photo. How true is that? Yeah. Number eight is listen to music. Really, really listen. Number nine is cuddle your dog. I hope my wife is listening. Let's get a dog. <laughs> number 10, uh, talk to your friends. Put your phone down. Are they actually doing okay? Those are all, I think, really great suggestions. Yeah. Number 11 uh, travel if it's your desire. Uh, don't travel if it's not. Basically saying, huh. do what makes you happy in, in terms of travel. Right now, we're in fact going to do a story, I believe, later where it's like the importance of travel. And I think it's really important. But she's saying, you know what? We're all wired a little differently. Number 12, she says, work to live. Don't live to work. Work to live. Don't live to work. That's a that's a simple but profound statement right there. Number 13, seriously, do what makes your heart feel happy. I would maybe put an asterisk there. Sometimes what makes your heart feel happy is maybe not yep. the thing that you most need, but I think it's still good advice. Number 14, don't feel pressured to do what other people might think is fulfilling life. Uh, I think that's a good challenge, especially when we're talking about someone who's 27, who's probably probably really just stepping into the confidence to know like, oh man, yep. all my other friends are going on all these different careers or they're doing, or they're having kids at this age or they're moving to this city. Like their definitions of what's fulfilling doesn't have to be yours. I think that's good. Yeah. 15 is such a, such an important one. Tell your loved ones you love them every time you get the chance and love them with everything you have. This is somebody just wishing for more time, right? Saying, just tell the people you love. Make sure they know that you love them. And then number 16, I thought this was such an important way to end. Oh, and one last thing. If you can, do a good deed for humanity and myself and start regularly donating blood. It'll make you feel good with the added bonus of saving lives. I thought that was hmm. not actually how I thought she was going to end the list. Um, it's something that I think we often forget is actually really, really life-saving. And I'd be curious 
Hmm. What on this list would you add or change or take away from? Uh, are there things here that as you're reading through it, you're thinking, okay, I have your kids a little older and you're thinking about, I'm assuming, you know, imparting wisdom to them. What would you, what would you change about this list? Yeah. You, you touched on it there about having kids and kind of, as you get older, I would, it, she touched on it, right? She got on it, but like, uh, prioritize even like the mundane moments with your kids. Yeah. If you've got kids or with your spouse or with your friends, like not everything has to be like the greatest and this and that just enjoy the everyday, um, the, the day in and day out experiences of a family meal, right? Like eat together and yeah. look at each other and talk. I mean, th- those are so important. How about you? Anything stand out? Yeah. For some reason I would add something about forgiveness. I think you could do all of these things, and still harbor all sorts of forgiveness, you know, towards somebody. Yeah, I mean, even legitimately, you know, forgiveness isn't, it's not diminishing the offense, but it's like preventing the offense from poisoning your heart, mm. you know, and to go through life traveling or not traveling or getting a dog, all those things can be really good. But I think unforgiveness is one of those things that can so easily and often so subtly like rob us from like doing all the things that you're doing or the yeah. things that you're saying, like live in the present moment. I think that's something that I, I wish, I wish even 10 years ago, I wish 10 years ago, Ian knew that more intently. Yeah. Like, Hey, don't hold on to this. It's not worth it. I would have to think somebody who's facing their mortality so soon and so definitively yes. probably doesn't hold grudges. Yeah, that's probably true. You're yeah. probably right. Well, coming up next, uh, an organization gifts 2,100 backpacks and 3,500 school supplies to refugees. We're going to talk about that story a little bit coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. I feel like this music is always like us, like heading into like a rap battle or something. This is like <laughs> another rap. This battle. is the extended edition of Eight Mile or something. This is Brian and Ian. We should do a segment rap battle, Brian and Ian style. That would be the worst. I bet you you could pull that off. I'm I'm just telling you from the beginning, I can't pull that. You want to just you want to try right now? Spit some bars. Nope. Just give it a give it a quick shot. Nope. Give the audience a taste of what they're in store You're for. Welcome to though. I am not interested. In <laughs> <laughs> you know who that. else is not interested? Anyone else listening? Oh, right I doubt that very much. I don't think you know our audience. I think people would love to hear. They want us to rap battle. Brian from to rap 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 rattle. Rap Can't rattle. even say. I'm gonna rap rattle. The title of what it's supposed to be that, that is foreshadowing. All right, so <laughs> here's the headline: uh, SBC gifts 2,100 backpacks, 3,500 school supplies items to refugees. What's going on here? Yeah, you know, feel good stories every now and then. This group called Send Relief, which is a Southern Baptist affiliated charity, is providing needy children with a few crucial supplies to help start their new semester. Uh, Send Relief, which is effectively the humanitarian aid arm of the Southern Baptist Convention, held a back to school party earlier this month, during which it provided 2,100 backpacks and over 35,000 school supplies to children in need, many of whom were refugees. The event, which was held just two days prior to the public school system welcoming kids back into the classroom, was only possible through the generous donations of over 200 churches and several ministry organizations. Alongside school supplies, the charity also gave out 540 pairs of shoes and a staggering 1,500 Bibles. Staggering. Staggering. Medical checkups and prescription reading glasses uh, were also provided. And so... Uh, it begins again to remind you, uh, and then it talks about some of the stuff they did through for Hurricane Maria, I believe, in Puerto Rico, and now what they're doing for Hurricane Dorian. 
It reminds me. I mean, not for Hurricane Dorian. For people affected by Hurricane Dorian. Gifts to the hurricane. Yes. Hey, Dorian, got you some shoes, buddy. Some cold water. And uh, (laughs) it reminds you, a couple things this story uh, reminds you of. One is uh, just the power of a a big organization like the Southern Baptist Convention when churches come together. Uh, So often churches just do their own thing or get just lost in in what is it that we can do to help ourselves, whether we're helping our community or just taking care of our own issues. Uh, and it's a reminder that when denominations, when churches under the umbrella of a denomination or other uh, things come together, uh, just kind of the cool things churches not only are called to do, but are doing and can do uh, when when they see needs arise. So what do you uh, what do you do with a story like this? Does this inspire you? as a pastor or church planner to do things differently with your church or with your organizational uh, leverage? Yeah. I mean, we're a non-denominational church. So sometimes I read these kind of things and I have a little bit of jealousy, like, Oh, right. you don't have to recreate the wheel. Like the, the, you know, the Southern Baptist convention is giving them outlets, a church underneath this umbrella. Can be like, hey, we're giving to this. We're raising for this. Um, we're always looking for new ways, especially, uh, to help the people who are who are most in need in our in our area, but it, these kind of things remind you uh, that that it's not always rocket science, right? It's right. it's um, um, it, there there are things out there, ways to tangibly help people that probably require a little bit of work on the front end to figure out how you do it. But if even if you as a family make a couple phone calls to schools or some organizations, you could probably find ways to help kids in need. Uh, that you often forget about, right? You forget that there's kids in your own children's school uh, who need the school for breakfast in the morning or who it's a real struggle when that school supply list comes out and it's a couple hundred dollars. Uh, how am I going to do that? Or, you know, you take for granted, we get our kids new shoes at the beginning of the school year or whatever else it might be. Uh, it's a great time of year. Uh, the beginning of school or Christmas time to reach out to your schools or other organizations and go, how can we help? That's what it looks like to tangibly be the church uh, in, in our culture. I'm, uh, I'm really interested by this one quote, Jonathan Santiago, who is the director of North American mission board uh, said, Puerto Rico is still recovering from Hurricane Maria. That was almost exactly two years ago. Wow. That's what kind of blows my mind because I know that's gotta be the case. That part doesn't surprise me. What surprises me is how quickly we move on to the next thing. Like when something hits, like Katrina, right, there was this huge outpouring and then we moved on. And then you read later that the city was still reeling for years and years and years after Mm -hmm. the fact. And that's where I think sustainable support starts to get really tricky because plenty of people can be inspired in the moment once something hits. You know, we're in the midst of that right now. And then we move on and not, not for, not without reason. There's another tragedy or there's another place of need, but the people that are actually affected by some of these tragedies, I think it's bizarre because I wonder what it must feel like to be on that end. You get all this national coverage and then you just sort of watch the nation move on to the next thing. How do you, how do you like keep some of those needs out in the public eye? What, what, what advice would you give to people who are in the midst of those kinds of things? Yeah, I think he, you know, uh, one that's like it is think of people in your church who lose a loved one and everybody comes around them really fast. And then it just kind of naturally goes away. It's not right. it's not unnatural uh, for that to happen. But maybe be just, 
you know, set yourself a reminder to check in on somebody, right? Set right. yourself a reminder. And these types of things, you're right. Like this hurricane two years ago and that the island is still battered. There's still people collecting, like maybe, maybe using your phone as, as ways to set reminders. Like I said to, uh, Hey, check in on this organization, still see if they still need help or check in on this person. Um, seems to be a good way because I would have to think I, you know, with people who face tragedy, think about in your own churches, take it away from like these national stuff in your own churches. Yeah. Uh, I would have to think when the silence comes, that's when it gets really, really hard. Mm. And maybe to be somebody who can even be a little bit of a help in that. Hey, I know it's been crazy. All these people helped you, but I'm going to call you in a month and just see how you're doing. Yeah. Uh, I'll bet you that really means a lot. It's something I try to do even like with weddings that I conduct, you know, Mm. once the wedding day is done, we all know that the honeymoon period goes by pretty quickly. And I always try to set reminders just to sort of say, Hey, yeah, someone that officiated your wedding and just checking in, you guys just trying to see how you're doing. Sometimes they say, Hey, we're doing great. And other times, honestly, six months in, eight months in, 12 months in, they're thinking this is way different than what I thought it was going to be. And that actually is a really meaningful kind of touch point with them. I think. Yeah. I'm sure that's, that's interesting. Uh, That's a whole nother segment, right? (laughs) Like what's, what is the beginning of marriage? Like, but uh, I do also find it interesting in this story. Like there's so much um, in our news right now about refugees and people that we, that should be here or not here and immigration and all this stuff. And also these types of stories remind me that regardless of your political stance, like it's still the call of the church to, uh, to help and love the people most in need. Yeah. Uh, and I, I love it even here. Says many of these people are many of these kids are refugees, and the Southern Baptist Convention is going. We're just going to help people who need help, right? And 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 we're going to leave the politics to another day. So uh, hard right turn of the second hour, not really all that political, but maybe not all that surprising. It says there's now evidence some women go on dates for free meals, and they have some <laughs> disturbing personality traits in common. We're going to figure out exactly. What that is coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Everyone, welcome back to The Common Good on the Tuesday that feels like a Monday. This is the most (laughs) Mondayest Tuesday. It is so (laughs) Monday-y. Monday-ish? Yes. Monday-esque? It is the cool thing. Like You get a day off right? yesterday, and it's so fun, and you're with your family and this and that, and then you get up on Tuesday, like, nope, now I just have more to do this week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The emails did not stop. The prep for Sunday. Are you preaching this Sunday? I am. You are. So we'll have uh, in advance say, what did you preach on? Yep. Maybe maybe we'll uh, have in conjunction, what did you preach? and what grinds my gears. Maybe, maybe <laughs> there'll be a Monday <laughs> All it was. that that actually happens. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, or wherever it is you get podcasts. Perhaps you're thinking to yourself, hey, I'm listening to a podcast right now. First off, thank you. Second off, if you would do us the honor of liking, subscribing, and reviewing it, that actually does help us out. Third, there's a little share button there if you want to share that with a friend or a family member or a total stranger. That would be fun. Hit share and then type in a number at random and say, I don't know who you are, but I think you should listen to this show. Uh, That would be a good time for all. 
I don't think Brian Fromm is amused by that at all. Uh, <laughs> oh, you are amused I by am. that. <laughs> I'm amused by you saying I'm not amused. Yes. No, mm, I get it. All right. So I don't think we've ever done a story like this before, but here's the headline. Some of you won't be surprised by this at all. Uh, there's now evidence that some women go on dates for free meals and they have some disturbing personality traits in common. Some of you are like, I already know what those traits are. Others of you are like, wait a minute, people do this? Yep. So for all of you listening, let's take a deep dive into this super weird story, Brian Fromm. Take it away. In a new first-of-its-kind study published June 20th in the Journal of Social, Psychological, and Personality Science. That sounds like a good one to read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are you reading right now? Social, Psychological, and Personality <laughs> you have Science. You to say it like that, though. Yep. Researchers surveyed 698 single heterosexual women and found that between 22% and 33% of them Holy had cow. agreed to meet a date because of the meal they'd get out of it. Wow. Not because of the potential... Uh, relationship. So they do this study to find out from these women how many of you actually do this. And then they tried to dig into, like, did you actually think it was acceptable? Did you feel guilty about it? Um, and it's just fascinating. They said the researchers uh, found that 23% of the 156 of the women who admitted in taking, am I allowed to say what they're calling them? The, uh, the foodie calls? Mm, that is clever. Among those uh, 27% said they do so occasionally, 21% said they did it rarely, and 15% uh, said they did it regularly. Uh, the women who were okay with the act uh, more frequently were also more likely to exhibit narcissistic and psychopathic traits uh, or believe in traditional gender roles, one or the other. Wait a minute. They lumped those two together. Yeah, that felt like a, that felt like a big jump right there. That felt mm, like a big leap. Thanks, insider.com. But, instead, but what it's saying is that... Uh, if you are the type of person who would go on a date and look at the other person and be like, I don't see any potential here, but I want to, I uh, want a free meal. Uh, then you are uh, likely higher on the scale of narcissistic and psychopathic. And so if you're out there going, I would totally do that. <laughs> you've been warned. <laughs> what is it? Do you think about the particular narcissistic bent that makes you most likely to do this for food? Well, it says a narcissist is a person who has an inflated sense of self-importance and lack of empathy right. for others. Uh, oh, that's a good point. And so, of course, that's lack of empathy. You're like, I will use this guy for a free meal and not care whether it bothers him or he's hurt by that or he is uh, uh, out a hundred bucks or whatever else. I'm going to get a free meal out of it. It, it does kind of uh, it feels like a little bit of the definition of narcissism. I wonder uh, because also they're not, I'm guessing in advance being like, Hey, there's no potential here, but I'll go out with you for the free meal. Yeah. But instead there's some deceit going on. There's uh, some, probably, uh, to, to, there's a leading guy along to be like, Oh, cause I'm going to get a nice free meal out of this. Well, I, I just didn't know any of this existed. Been out of the dating scene for a long time. You I have, tell you that's that. true. But you should always be dating your wife, Brian. Yeah. He, but, <laughs> but she knows when I buy her a meal, it's really her money as well. That's true. Touche. <laughs> I, uh, I do think it's interesting and I want to, I want I'm curious if there are guys out there that are like, yeah, I'd be fine with that just for the company. Yep. I'd actually would be totally okay with somebody that she's actually not interested in a relationship, but just to have dinner with somebody nice. Uh, I think that might be, I would be curious to know how many people would fit in that category. There was a, uh, a study done by Ninja Economics, which sounds super official. Ninja um, Economics. Yeah. So they calculated the average price of a date in the U.S. for every one of the 50 states. Um in Illinois, the average price of a date is one hundred and fifty-seven dollars and ninety-six cents. 
Does that strike you as high or low? That strikes me as really high. So just go a little bit north to Wisconsin, <laughs> uh, Illinois' top hat, and the average price of a date in Wisconsin is only $73, which still seems like yeah. a lot of money, but significantly less. Uh, New Jersey, your home state, $259. Crazy. That's pretty nuts. But New York takes on the cake uh, $297.27. That's the average price of a date. So looking at that information, if somebody is listening and they're, they're thinking, wait a minute, there are women that are just going out with me to get a free meal. I could see some people being really, really upset by that. Now, again, yeah. how they go about that is probably anyone's guess. But I, I am interested, though, in sort of this seemingly um, obvious connection between narcissism and someone who does this. And I'm curious what advice you would give to young dating people or old dating people, any dating people. Yeah, I, I think just be, uh, you know... It, a, a relationship's really only going to work if if there is some sort of mutual trust there, like down the road, right? This these one off dates or whatever else. Again, I've been out of the dating scene for a while, but uh, but if you're actually hoping to find somebody that you can spend time with and and maybe have a, a long standing relationship with, then maybe build it on trust a little bit. Yeah, there, there's they also talk about psychopathic traits in this a spectrum of it. Generally speaking, people who lie to de- uh, to deceive others have little or no regard for moral standards and act impulsively. Uh, building it upon, I want a free meal. Man, I, you, this feels like a Meg Ryan rom-com, right? Like, <laughs> I went out with the guy just for the free meal, and now here I am. And then he got now my I love heart. Him exactly. Right. <laughs> uh, but, man, I do feel like narcissism is just, and I know people quibble with the definition of it, and is it true narcissism, but I feel like, narcissism is quickly becoming is quickly defining a lot of what's wrong with our culture. And I mm. feel like this is more a symptom, right? This is falling underneath it rather than like this one off. That's crazy. Uh, and it's probably something, hopefully we as a culture we can, can turn the tide on a little bit. Well, maybe the advice should be according to this graph, you just move to South Dakota. Oh. Where the average date is only $38, 27 cents for, a, I don't know how you, how do you cover a whole date? For $38, that may be the solution for everyone listening. If they're if they're in danger of uh, being taken advantage of this regard, move to South Dakota, and at least you won't be out as much. Why would that be? Hmm. Because there's not much to do, or it's just cheaper? I don't know. I, I think know, it's I just cheaper. The answer. I think. I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm dumbfounded. It doesn't surprise me, the East Coast stuff, Jersey and New York and all that kind of stuff, because everything is crazy. Here's a, This is an off... off uh, but have you ever seen, like those studies of like, here's what you can get in New York city for housing versus like in South Dakota or something. And it'll be like, or in Utah, it'll be a one bedroom apartment in New York city or San Francisco right, yes. is equal to like a 10,000 square foot home in here. Right. Right. Like that is just crazy. That's just crazy. That's why it doesn't surprise me about what it costs to even date out there. Uh, either way. I think you're right though. I think there is uh, and maybe social media plays a role in this. I think with the increased narcissism and maybe that for someone who feels like, Oh no, I, I am in danger of being that you're not tied to that. Like you can do the hard work of becoming a better person yeah. and maybe not taking advantage of people. I I do have to say though, that like my single friends, the way they talk about the dating scene just sounds horrific. Is that right? On both sides. Just, you never know. And with all the apps and with all the expectations and, uh, you know, Christian dumb in the Midwest can add all these kind of extra expectations. I you and, just said Christian dumb, but that's from no, nope, not Christian dumb. <laughs> Christian dumb. I just think there's a lot of pressure and I, I feel for people on both sides of the equation because it feels like 
just this endless guessing game and you're always having to kind of feel like you're performing, which I guess is what dating has always been. But I don't know. The, the older no, that I get, different. the more I really feel for people that are like, I want to be in a meaningful relationship. And it always feels like both parties have their guard up and I'm trying to figure out, you know, all this compatibility stuff. And, you know, are we all this equally mm. yoked stuff? Like there's just so many things to filter through that I think uh, that can be tough to navigate. That's interesting. Well, coming up next, uh, this family is now my hero. Meet the family who, quote, world schools their children by traveling full time. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on the interwebs. Just type in... Have we tried this yet? If you type in our names together into Google, will it generate us? I'm going to try right now while Do you it. talk. I'm just going to... I'm going to pause. I'm going to wait with... Yeah, just our names. Don't type the Don't type the show. Just Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins into Google. What happens? There's a P in your word right, name, There's, right? Oh, my gosh. I'm kidding. How dare you? That's the most offensive. Oh, I've been. this is you did this. You did this to pain me. What? No. What happens? So the second <laughs> thing that comes up is the common good. You know what the first thing is? I don't. Know. Ian Simpkins Community Christian Church. <laughs> I swear I didn't. You, I see. What you're I type in my name and your name, and you come up first. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I did not. That really was. That's. <laughs> oh no. Uh, oh. Well, this is. Wait a minute. Who's Robert? Better. He's a writer. Remember, they had like a press release about our show that came out. Oh, yeah. There we are. I didn't even know this existed. Judson alum and Pastor Ian Simpkins to speak in chapel. Oh, Here we boy. go. This is not good radio, by the way. <laughs> it's not good for my for my uh, self-esteem. It's just either. you and I reading our Google search we are on like, there. We're like six months away from Ian Simpkins and friends. <laughs> no. Oh, my gosh. Goodness. Don't speak that into existence, Brian, from. Ian Simpkins and company. Oh, you're going to keep scrolling, aren't you? No, you're I got off it. I got off it. <laughs> All right. So uh, that was I, funny, though. I mentioned earlier that this family is sort of my hero. Can a whole family be your hero? I, that's, so. I don't think that's even grammatically correct. So the headline is uh, meet the family who world schools their children by traveling full time, which I will say I was just thinking about this. I'll bet when I was like 10 or 11, if my parents had said, hey, pack up, we're going in a motorhome. We're going to just tour the country for the year. I would have been mortified. At 10 or 11, there's no way I would have been interested in it. As a dad now, I'm like, that's all I want to do is like take him to see the world. How fun would that be? You kind of did a little bit with your sabbatical. You packed up your family. and We drove for three weeks. And uh, man, I think as a dad, just the thing that I love to do most is get away with my kids and my wife because there's nothing else around you, right? There's not all the... There's not soccer practice and and guitar lesson and homework and this and that pulling at you. There's just you guys hanging out and my kids seem to get along better when we're away because it's just fun. Uh, So I totally get it. This I'm not sure about. This is this is out there, but but pretty interesting. I'd love to know people if you're like read this and you're like, oh, I wish I could do this. Yeah, right. Uh, or if you're like, that sounds like a crazy idea. So, uh, which it's also, I'll say this too. With the, one of the things I love about the story is so often the way that Hollywood depicts travel is, oh man, if you don't travel before you have kids, then you'll never get a chance to. And this family's saying, nope, we're going to do it with her. I mean, they have three kids. Yeah. The picture on the home screen is them in front of the Taj Mahal. And uh, you read down in the article a little bit. It says, so far, the family has visited 16 countries, with Portugal being their latest stop. So they're homeschooled. 
but they kind of rebranded it World School, and they're using so it's not just uh, they're not just tourists. Yeah, they're using this as a really beautiful, tangible boots on the ground way to learn about the world. And I mean, their kids the kids look like they're maybe about the same age as your kids. Yeah, what do you think of a story like this? Is there any part of you that thinks, oh yeah, I'd I'd want to do that? Uh, yes, I don't think I would want to do it to their extent. And obviously you might be thinking like, uh, don't these people have a job right. or this? Uh, and, and so there is a little background. It says 34 year old Sarah and Jermaine Griggs seem to be living the American dream. They're homeowners in California, the parents of three smart and beautiful children and the owners of two successful businesses, including an online marketing consultant firm and an online instrumental music company. And later in the in the article, it says there are still people back there running these companies, right? So they're doing it remotely, but there's people back there. So it's not like they had the finances to just stop working, but they also had the flexibility to be away. Yeah. Uh, they just said, you know what? Something's missing in our family. Like we're in this, this, uh, uh, this rat race, we, you know, things are just going so fast. And they said, we're going to pull our kids for a year travel the world and like you said world school them and i think what is important they say that doesn't mean the kids won't return to traditional school but for now they use online curriculums and supplements plus field trips and experiential learning uh and the couple explained so every country brings a different experience with some places being their home for two weeks and other places being their home for just two days so they may come back right like they're they're, they're not going to do they're not like wait until our kids go to college we're traveling the world and uh, it'll be interesting to see the result in their kids. But like you, it would take some real selling on my kids to do this. My kids, they like to be, they've got friends. They've right, got baseball right, teams and right. soccer teams. They've got uh, school activities. Like a year in the life of a kid is like, <laughs> right? That's like 10 Eternity, years in right. the adult world. Totally. Uh, and so I see the benefit of this. Um, but I think what becomes more, um, what becomes easier to grasp is also just the concept of traveling and doing experiences with mm. your kids. You might be out there being like, the, going for a year is the most ridiculous thing. What about a month? Yeah. What, some of you need to consider a week. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. Your last right. Week. No kidding. There is something in the time that you've got your kids uh, to doing this kind of fun stuff with them that really makes memories and they'll remember for the rest of their lives. Well, it looks like they're going to start a blog too to give tips to other families that want to try something like this. But I love, so it ends with this uh, quote from Jermaine that, I think is so inspiring. Uh, he says, I hope it gives them exposure to a broader world, expands their vision, gives them a heart for all people, diversifies their thinking and makes them well-rounded individuals. And we hope that they realize while the world is huge, it's also small. They've met friends in just about every country. And while there may be uh, language barriers, fun is universal. Smiling mm. and laughing also universal. We believe uh, when you've met, fellowshiped, and laughed with someone on the other side of the world, then politics, war, media, and global agendas won't be able to influence you as readily. And I think that is such an inspire. It's not just about let's go see these sites so that we can fill up our social media stream. Like yeah. there's a real intentionality to what they're doing. Yeah, and I a couple years ago uh, with a group from our church, we had the opportunity to take our kids uh, to on a mission trip to Costa Rica. And, and so that was just a week and it was, you might be thinking like Costa Rica, that sounds really nice. Well, you know, like a lot of those islands and countries down there, um, there is, you know, there's the, there's the touristy part and then the, there's the other 90% of the country. Right? right. And so we were in a very poor area and I remember um, the effect that that had on my kids uh, was really important. And the, the bonding experience that was for us as a family was really important. And so this family's just doing that on steroids. They're going, we're going to do an entire year. Right. 
And, and uh, again, they're starting a blog to kind of say, hey, I know it sounds like this requires a lot of money, which in the end it does. Right. It yeah, does require sure. a lot of money. But they are trying to start a blog to say, but it doesn't require as much as you think. So maybe right. it's not a whole year, but here's how you can give your kids this experience. So I think it's fascinating. So your kids are getting older. Uh, what do you do with this sort of thoughts? I know you want your kids to be well-rounded. You want them to have what this guy's explaining. What role do you think travel will play in your family's life? I mean, and I wasn't being facetious. They're, they're my heroes because this, this yeah. is the kind of stuff that I would love to do. Now, being a pastor isn't necessarily maybe a job that lends yourself to that, but I have friends who are like, they're graphic designers. Yeah. If they can get an internet connection, they can do their work, which, yep. you know, a big part of me thinks, oh man, that's that's the dream right there. Now, a lot of their work is very isolating. They don't get to work with people. Yep. You know, it's the part about ministry that I actually really, really love. So sometimes it can feel like the grass is greener, but I think, uh, like, they even listed a couple of resources they use. So they say, for now, we use online curriculums and su- supplements like, Time for Learning, Khan Academy, IXL, Splash Math, plus field trips and experiential learning. I haven't heard of any of those except Khan Academy. Like apparently there are all sorts of digital resources to do these kinds of things with your kids, even if you don't have a teaching degree. Uh, I feel very grateful that my wife does. So like if we were to ever consider something like this, like I just think she'd crush it. I think she'd be phenomenal at it and it'd just be fun to do. But I don't know, this kind of stuff. And again, you know, we read this early in the show, travel if it's your thing, but don't if it's not. This for me, for my wife and I, this is one of the things that we definitely share in common. Oh, I'm with you on that. I I love to travel. And, and even away from the travel, the whole concept of homeschooling, there is, you've talked a bunch about how much homeschooling mattered in your time growing up. And even now, we homeschooled our daughter for one year, uh, years ago when she was in second grade. And right. um, I mean, the resources out there now are incredible. Oh, in fact, we would once a week go to your church where they were. There was a homeschool group that would be there and teaching class. It was great. It was awesome. Yeah, we had a co-op that we went to when we were kids, too, and there was all sorts of stuff that, you know, most families didn't have access to. So there was like a dark room where you could do, you know, yeah. a photo lab. There was a science class with all sorts of equipment that most families don't already have. And yep. it gave you like a little bit of a pseudo sense of a school. Yep. So it was all these other homeschool families, and it was a church that hosted us. Probably not dissimilar to what exactly you experienced at Yellow like. Box. Right. Totally what it was Which like. Which is so much fun, though, because there's also people that are like bought into the philosophy of homeschooling. So it's like, oh, we're not totally insane. Like there's, yeah. there's actually a lot of benefit and we're not alone in that. There's a lot of people here that uh, are here to support us. Absolutely. Well, coming up next, this is something I've heard you talk about a good deal. Uh, headline says, parents, going to every one of your kids' games matters more than you think. Yep. And I think you'll be surprised exactly why that matters. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome to The Common Good. Brian Fromm uh, successfully started the timer. My day is complete. And is taking a victory lap around the studio right now. It's the small things, isn't it, Brian? It is. Small victories throughout the day. Do you like? I feel like I made up for the fact that the last segment I was chewing on a pen and it broke into the <laughs> microphone. <laughs> I'm sure people are like, did the signal just cut? Like, what What happened? I'm going to ask John to compile like a montage. It should be our next best of show. It could just be me with ice. The whole pens. intro is you making noises into the microphone. There'll be the straw that goes. The other day, I think I hit my head on the microphone. You definitely <laughs> hit your head or your arm. We, can, we should like record them as different parts of like a like a dance rhythm and piece them together <laughs> to create like an actual segment. I We're, really want to get a bunch of just Florida. <laughs> no, that's going to be like the callback. So yeah. you create a rhythm using the ice, straw, <laughs> pen, and head, 
And then <laughs> I really wish that I could stand up for myself and be like, you guys are over below. I'm like, no, nope. <laughs> it's at least once a show I bite on something or I, it's funny. Well, it's, sometimes it's, you forget this thing in front of you is a microphone that well, you guys don't know. Out. Brian's actually wearing a microphone helmet, so he, he can't. There's no way for him to get away from the microphone. He's, we, can get him, we can get him a headset. Oh, it's an option. Is that a good idea? I, John, based on what we just said, everything. I, he, it's impossible because it moves with him. It's, yeah, it'd be impossible for him to hit it. But everything. Yeah, you but everything else, though, with the, of. I guess you're right. You're right. You're right. Just, All right. That's John. And he is on. What are you going to call that segment, by the way? The dance rhythm. Oh, that'd be good. Mm. Brian. Brian in real life. Ooh. Ooh. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> in unison. All right. Hard right turn from Pop Sugar. Have we used Pop Sugar before? Like the website, or have you used? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the noun would be. What's the? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I that, love this article. That guy's totally on pop sugar. All right, I want <laughs> I want you to weigh in on it because my kids aren't at this age yet. But you've talked about this a couple of times. Parents going to every one of your kids' games matters more than you know. Yep. This whole article, the the premise of the article is that it makes a huge difference that you show up. And, you know, this article is talking about kids games, but it could be uh, it could be recitals. Anything, it yeah. could be whatever. It could be back to school night where they're showing you their artwork, whatever else it might be. The article is written by Caitlin Gallagher. And she says, when I was growing up, both of my parents had demanding jobs. We lived in the suburbs and they worked in the city. My mom, a court reporter, my dad, a lawyer. They would endure the usually long and annoying commute back and forth every day. And many nights they'd still have some work to do when they got home. But while I know that now, my sister and I almost never felt that when we were younger. We never felt that when we were younger. All we knew was that they were there for every single thing. At every game, I would search for their faces in the stands. When I found them, I knew I mattered. Mm. I knew that my dreams mattered. Uh, She says, uh, I wanted to show my dad that I listened to his tips during our Saturday morning practices in the driveway. I wanted to show my mom that I was as dedicated to the game as I told her I was. I wanted to prove that I was better at hustling down the court than my sister. I wanted to make them proud. And so basically, uh, this author is saying it matters that you show up. She closes the article this way. I know it isn't always possible or easy to show up and be at every game, but parents Even if you think it's no big deal, and even if your kids say it's no big deal, it matters. And if you can't be there, trying matters. I don't remember a lot of the birthday gifts I got growing up or the cookies I ate before dinner, but I vividly remember my mom and dad in their work suits and jackets walking into every game that I ever played. I find this so powerful as a parent who's got kids who are a little bit older now but still this is their wheelhouse right now lots of activities lots of stuff in the end you can't be at everything right but you could try to be at as as humanly much as possible uh and i love this so much of parenting uh you ready i'm going to give you the best parenting advice that, that comes out of this and that i can give you just show up so much of parenting is just showing up and i love that she says I can't even remember most of the gifts I got because we think, oh, our kids just want stuff and they want this. No, they want to know that you love them and you care for them and you're going to do it by showing up. Yeah. Uh, even those little, you know, kindergarten soccer games where the kids are running around in circles or I can remember my parents showing up to high school basketball games that I was on where it was pretty definitive. I was not getting off the bench right now that I look back at that. I'm like, wow, they would leave work early to come to a game that they knew and I knew 
Had to be a big blowout if I was going to get into that game. Right, right. Uh, and, or, you know, uh, you, your parents maybe showing up to, when you were younger, stuff that you did with a band or, you know, whatever else. I, I just, I can't, I can't say this strongly enough. It matters so much that you show up and when you can't show up that you tell your kids that you wish you could be there. I think I would add something to that too, particularly in this technological age, show up and be present. Yeah. I think there are so many parents really that are good. physically there at the recital at the game but like mm. the way that this article is written is about when when she was a kid looking for her parents in the stands and i imagine a lot of kids right now are looking for their parents in the stands and also looking if they're watching yes right like my little my boy is not even two yet and i think i was telling you this he because we want to capture it we're you know yeah, we're yeah, still yeah. new to this parenting thing so we won't even be out like playing on the phone but just up taking a photo of him he'll walk over and he'll like knock it out of our hands and say, oh no, no. way it, it's so weird because it used to be he wanted he also wanted to see what we were seeing it got old for him so quick he knocks it out of our hand and says no so like when my son and i are on a walk and i want to try to like capture a moment that we're having he'll see it and go no and swipe it out of my hand he knows really that i'm not looking him in the eyes that i'm not actually present to that's that thing. fascinating if that's in any way an indication of the awareness that kids have now, especially, you know, ones born after 2000, that we can be there physically, but not emotionally to not actually be present. And uh, I just like the way this is written because I can remember days where I would scan and both my parents were there cheering me on yep. or they were in the audience or whatever it was. And that not being an issue, you know, 25 years ago yeah. for them to be on their smartphones or not. I think we have that extra hurdle now as parents to not just show up, not just carve it out in the calendar, but to actually make the decision like, Hey, for the next hour and a half, let's not, let's not even be on our phones. We're going to be present right now. And maybe you snag a photo. I'm not saying be Amish. I'm just saying that idea of being present yes. fully is so much really easier good. said than done, but it's, I think it's necessary. This past week at my daughter, my sophomore in high school daughter, she's on the tennis team. And, uh, she had on Saturdays, they'll play matches where it's like eight hours long, right? Yeah, like they're right. played different teams. And so I was talking to her and I was like, Hey, I'm going to come at this time. Like, I'm not going to come for eight hours. Like right, I'm going to come, right. I'll drop you off, blah, blah, blah. And I got there. Oh man. I got there during her match, during one of her matches. And we locked eyes in the middle of her match. And she just gave me like this little smile and wave that you're mm. like, Done. It mattered Done. to her that Melted. I just showed up. Totally. Right. And here's the secret, right? Here's the thing. Like we you could be hearing us talking like it's a burden to show up to your kid's stuff. I love my kid's stuff. Baseball games, soccer games, piano recital, go to school and look at what they've been doing. Like those are like always the highlights of my day. So that's yeah. the that's the little secret here. If you're like, I don't have time to go to my parents' stuff or my kids' stuff, like I don't have time for that, you're missing out one of the great joys of parenting. You're not just hurting your kid. Or like, you know, having that issue there, but you're missing one of the greatest joys that there is to be a parent and that's to be present in your kids' lives. Like it's, I told my kids the other day, I said, I forget which kid I was telling for their sporting event. I said, I get more nervous for your sporting events than I ever got playing anything oh, in my own that. life. Totally. And and that's because we want that such good stuff for them. And so uh, even if you're like, oh, burden, I have to show up with their stuff. That's totally wrong attitude. You get to go to your kid's stuff. 
take advantage of it as much as you possibly can. Well, and some of it is going to be bad. There, it'll be first year violin. And you're oh like, yeah! Holy oh, cow! Yeah. What are we? You know what I mean? That's all a part of it. I I got to give my parents a lot of props too because you know we were homeschooled, so we like dabbled in some really weird sports. So like I did fencing for a while. No, you didn't. I did, and my dad's <laughs> like, I don't know anything about fencing. Like you know, like my, my my younger brother played baseball and he was pretty good. And my dad's a baseball guy, and I think yeah. if we had done boxing, he'd be like, oh yeah, that's. What am I watching? You know, but like to their credit, man, they showed up. They asked questions. Uh, I was playing in bands, terrible yeah. bands that they'd show up. They gave us space in the basement. Like awesome. that honestly is the stuff that I remember. Yeah. Not the not the gifts. I remember the experiences and I remember them showing up. And there are very few people I think have done it better than Eric and Colette Simpkins because I just think they awesome. made it a priority. How they did that for seven kids is beyond me. Yeah, it takes it takes real work. Even just with two, I'm like, yeah. how in the world do you even keep all that straight? But they they were really really intent on being present and showing up time and time again. And uh, I think I'm a better person for it. That's awesome. Well, coming up next, we're gonna land the plane the way that we do every single show. That is with some interweb insanity, and uh, we have been warned that this time they're actually it's a good batch. I've been told so some stuff that we've not seen from the internet. We're going to read them sight unseen coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. And uh, if you've been with us for any length of time, you know that music probably terrifies you because you have a sense of what's coming up next. It's called Interweb Insanity. It's stories that we've not seen with sound effects we've not heard. We will laugh and cry right along with you. But before that, Brian. Yes. I'd like to say some words at you. I'm excited. You ready? Mm-hmm. Withdraw. Okay. Get away. Done. Relax. Mm. These words could be describing you. You're the grand prize winner of the Focus on the Family Marriage Getaway Contest. I want to win this. I Obviously. Who, who wouldn't? <laughs> it's a chance to be pampered. I don't think I want to. Nope. It's a chance to be pampered and reconnect with each other and with God. You'll receive a free ebook just oh, so for my entering. Wife, so my wife goes on this too. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Or you can bring PJ if you want. You can do that <laughs> as well. Hurry up, though. It does end September 6th. So enter to win a weekend away for you and your spouse or producer. Visit 1160hope.com keyword mar- keyword? Keywords. <laughs> Key, the next word is marriage. Keyword marriage yes. now. It does say now in all caps, Brian, so I'm going to need you to go there right now. Right now, you do the rest of the I need show. To be, I'm going to handle the rest I'm of the show. Go. I'm going to be emphatic. I um, would enjoy getting with my wife where there is pampering and You like away. being pampered? I am super Should uncomfortable <laughs> with it. I don't. I am. I Pampered, I think of pedicures, and I don't want anyone touching my feet. Okay. You're okay with that? Do you know I've never. This is this is way too personal. I've never had a pedicure, a manicure, or a massage, and all of those are problems. I would like to. All of those are problems. In what way? I should have at this point in my life had those. And I disagree. Okay. You think Just at, one time. you should have had a pedicure? I think so. All the guys I know who get them, they're like, it's great. You need new friends. Okay. <laughs> so I, I've i never had any of them. The massage I'm with you. one is the I'm one with I need you. to. Yeah, uh, the massage one, you should probably get over that one. All right. Hey, I'm going to surprise you. I'm going to kick us off. Ooh. New Jersey. Oh. America's. What have you? Paradise? No. Okay. You need to come up with a better one. 80-year-old woman fell asleep in her car. She woke up without it, apparently carjacked. Oh, my gosh. Police are searching for a possible carjacker who apparently removed a sleeping 80-year-old woman from her parked car and stole it, leaving her lying in the driveway overnight. Oh, no. Officers responded to a home in Hamilton just after 4 a.m. Thursday 
where they found the victim in her driveway. The woman told police she had fallen asleep in the car, which was parked around 9 p.m., but woke up around 4 a.m. and it was missing, Township Police said. She had sustained an abrasion and bruise on her face, but did not remember what had happened, the police said. Rise and shine. Come on. Come on, get up. Get up. Come on. Come on, it's 6 o'clock. Rise and shine. Rise and shine. Come on. Oh, no. I know the movie. Name it. What about Bob? Well done. I slept on a driveway once. Florida fully operational F-16 fighter jet hits the market. Got room for a fighting Falcon in your garage? You're in luck. There's one in the market. Well, maybe not for you. A 1980 F-16AB Fighting Falcon is for sale in Palm Beach for $8.5 million. Jump change. The fighter jet, originally from Jordan, first got attention after aircraft brokerage and leasing firm Jet Lease posted the aircraft for sale. The aircraft is unique because it has not been demilitarized, a key difference between it and other F-16 jets that have been privately purchased. Okay, we got to move it along, Brian. We are, we are running out of time. All right, well, you can buy an F-16. I feel the need. The need for speed. <laughs> you really, really fell off a cliff there. Buy the, buy the F-16. <laughs> Go for it. All right, Utah, after hours-long standoff, police determine individual not home. Oh, gosh. After saying they <laughs> believed a wanted man had barricaded himself inside a Western home, police said Saturday that SWAT had cleared the residence and no one was home. Sandy police said they responded to reports of an aggravated assault at 4.30 a.m. Saturday. An important. Uh, I'm not going to get the address. Why would I do that? No. One person at the residence uh, sustained an apparent stab wound and was transported to the hospital in stable condition. Holy cow. Police uh, officers later identified Jesse David, 34, who was allegedly involved in the incident and went to his home. It gives all the addresses in the story. That's really That's funny. insane. Uh, moral of the story, though, no one was inside. This will not look good on a resume! Australia, first-time student to traffic control. My teacher's out cold. A flying lesson took a chilling turn Saturday when a flight instructor passed out on the student pilot in midair. He's leaning over my shoulder. I'm trying to keep him up, but he keeps falling down, uh, the student said. Air traffic controller calmly asked the 30-something trainee, do you know how to operate the plane? Uh, Sylvester, the 30-year-old, replied, this is my first lesson. The operator told him to keep the Cessna two-seater level and at a constant altitude. You're doing a really great job. Uh, A little later, she asked, have you landed any aircraft before? No, I haven't. Well, my flight instructor did say I was the best student he'd had. Sure enough, he landed the plane about 50 minutes after the ordeal, uh, but he praised the tower. The teacher was admitted to the hospital in stable condition. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your stewardess speaking. We regret any inconvenience the sudden cabin movement might have caused. This is due to periodic air pockets we encountered. There's no reason to become alarmed, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your flight. By the way, is there anyone on board who knows how to fly a plane? (laughs) (laughs) All right, last but not least, in stories of people who get America, Tennessee, man sues Popeyes over sold-out chicken sandwich, quote, I can't get happy. Tennessee man is suing Popeyes over the countless time wasted, unsuccessfully trying to score the wildly popular crispy chicken sandwich that sold out earlier this week. Craig Barr of Eastridge, identified in Hamilton County court documents, accused the company of false advertising, deceptive business practices by entity to public. Uh, he went on, on to describe the alleged hardships, countless time wasted driving to and from Popeyes, no chicken sandwich, was told to come back this day, still no sandwich. This is the most blatant case of fraudulent <laughs> advertising since my suit against the film The Never-Ending Story. <laughs> I love that one. Moldy but a goodie. All right, before we go, uh, Chick-fil-A or Popeyes? Chick-fil-A. 
Wow. Have you ever had Popeyes? Nope. <laughs> You're missing out, man. You need to go get yourself a Popeyes. I'm sure I'll enjoy both of them, yes. Yeah, I think it is no contest. You will not be surprised. Is that right? Yeah, give, maybe, it, give maybe it a shot. today. <laughs> Do it. We'll talk about it tomorrow here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.